0: One of the early great UConn men's basketball players was Worthington R. Patterson, Jr. He just passed away late last year. And a filmmaker, Ronnie Forchheimer, joins me today. He's an award-winning journalist who has worked at CNN, ESPN, NBC, Boston. He's reported on Super Bowls, NBA Finals, NCAA Final Fours, World Series. He knew Worthy Patterson for most of his life, and he has done a documentary film called "Pushing Boundaries: UConn's First NBA Player." So let's talk about the documentary. Let's talk about Worthy Patterson, Ronnie. Thank you for joining me for this morning. First off, for the folks who don't know who was Worthy Patterson and why is he so significant in UConn men's basketball history.
1: Well, I know you know the answer to that, Wayne. But I, I'll, 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 uh. I'll play along. So Worthy Patterson was one of the greatest players in UConn basketball history, and he came about in the early 50s. And he was actually the first black captain in any UConn sports, um, in the history of UConn sports. And his, also, his significance he was also a great uh, basketball player. And he was significant in uh, sort of one of the first players to turn the program around and as you know, uh, in 1954, um, Holy Cross had a 47-game home winning streak in their, uh, in Worcester Auditorium, and UConn came in and upset them, and uh, Worthy Patterson hit what was commonly referred to as the shot and the winning basket uh, that uh, propelled UConn over Holy Cross, and that kind of put them on the national stage.
0: Yeah, that was the shot before Tate George or Kemba Walker had also the shot. And in my book about UConn basketball, I wrote this. Patterson remembered an oddity in the game's final minute. Quote, the ball rolled under the stands and it could not be retrieved. So they had to get another one out of a bag and both teams had to agree which ball was suitable. It took longer than a normal timeout to settle on which one to be used. Hugh Greer called timeout set up the play for Patterson. The play was to get the ball to Worthy and for the rest of us to get out of the way. And with one second to go, he drove to the hoop, and UConn won that game at National Power Holy Cross, which was, I think, number five in the nation at that point in time, their first home loss in over five years. Ronnie, you knew Worthy personally. You've known him most of your life. How did that relationship begin?
1: So I uh, grew up with his son, uh, Worthington Reginald Patterson the third. Uh, who I met when I was about 10 years old, and I have, uh, you know, he's been one of my best friends ever since, and his dad, uh, Worthy from UConn, was just always Worthy's dad, and I, you know, I used to see the, uh, he he had a a photo, um, he tried out for the Celtics in 1954, and he was the last player cut um, actually, he had been signed and on a Friday and he was, uh, signed on a Thursday and cut on a Saturday because, uh, back then there was a sort of an unwritten rule of only one black player per team. And, uh, Don Barksdale came out of retirement over the weekend and, uh, he was a, uh, a former All-Star player. So the Celtics were faced with what was then an unfortunate but easy decision. So they only had, uh, they had to cut worthy. Uh, so, His uh, Celtics photo was always prominently displayed in the house. And, um, you know, back in those days, the uh, way to look up uh, somebody uh, in the NBA was in the NBA encyclopedia. So I used to take great joy in always flipping to Worthy Patterson's page because, of course, he then did catch on with the 1957 St. Louis Hawks. So he was prominently displayed in the NBA encyclopedia. So I always knew he had played in the NBA. I always saw the photos, but I never really knew as much about um, his uh, playing at UConn and uh, perhaps most important, um, the way that he got, got to UConn and, and sort of got to the NBA through his perseverance and his ability to navigate as a black person in, uh, you know, pre civil rights America and the things that he dealt with. And, you know, I think that, uh, his story is is unique to him, his, and uh, it's I think it's interesting in this day and age for people to see as sort of a historical narrative. So I always was aware of his um, his prominence and his accomplishments, but only when I started looking into the film in the last few years did I sort of start digging up a lot of the things about his uh, growing up in Greenwich, and then uh, he spent some time at Tilton. Uh, one year in preparation for UConn and sort of the things that I found out about his life, um, you know, the details, um, things like being at UConn and one of the first probably I don't can't say it's the only, but one of the first integrated fraternities uh, in the country. And, uh, you know, I spoke to his fraternity brother, Dr. Spencer Kerner, who uh, is part of the film. And uh, they talked about the harmony on campus and and the way by which that everybody accepted each other. And while there were not a lot of people of color on campus at UConn in those days, he felt um, totally comfortable. In fact, uh, that's where he met uh, his wife, Queen Patterson. Uh, They started dating as uh, undergrads and they had been married 66 years before his passing. So as I... um, Committed to doing the film, I found out about all the sort of details, and um, you know, I think what makes the film effective and any any documentary is is the archival uh, support that you can find for it Post articles and photographs—and there's actually uh, there is fi- old film of the shot uh, versus um, Holy Cross, and uh, so Worthy talks us through what you were just saying about the ball rolling out of bounds and. Um, Hugh Greer having a chance to write up the play. And um, so he takes us all through that, but there's, there's old film, um, there's uh, good photos of his uh, growing up in Greenwich and then Yukon. And then, of course, after his playing days, um, you know, obviously traveling and uh, trying out for the Celtics and then making the St. Louis Hawks with a two year stint at Fort Sill because he was an Army officer as well. Um, then he was a very successful person, uh, trailblazer in the recording industry. Uh, and that's where he spent the last 25 years of his, uh, career. Uh, so he, you know, that's kind of where the pushing boundaries, uh, title comes in is that he was a person who, you know, whether it was because of dis- discrimination or maybe a lack of opportunity that preceded him it just never stopped him and it wasn't because he was you know um angry about much and i'm sure that obviously you know he shared times where he was tested and pushed and discriminated against and didn't like what was going on but he let none of that stop him in his uh, ambition to achieve and i think that's what's very interesting about the story is that it's his personal story about ambition and achievement in times where it was not so easy for black people to succeed.
0: Ronnie, you use that term, pushing boundaries. Your documentary on Worthy Patterson is called Pushing Boundaries, UConn's First NBA Player. It's about Worthy Patterson. And that documentary will be making its UConn campus premiere in the – Husky Heritage Sports Museum, the Donnelly Husky Heritage Sports Museum, on February the 22nd, and it will be shown on a repeating basis. It was produced by my guest this morning, Ronnie Forsheimer, of Be Good or Be Gone Media. How long is the documentary, and what's been the reaction you've gotten from people who've seen it so far, Ronnie? It
1: runs 31 minutes. And uh, actually, it's going to pre- premiere a little bit uh, south in the state tonight at uh, the Greenwich Historical Society, and then uh, we're also uh, negotiating to get it on uh, Connecticut Public Television, which I hope uh, will happen. And um, it's uh, like I said, it's a, it's 31 minutes, and uh, we had sort of a pre-screening, uh, as you mentioned, uh, where he passed away sadly in December of 2022. And uh, this past weekend, uh, the family had a memorial service for him in California, and they played the film uh, at the end of the service. And uh, it was uh, uh, met with uh, good reviews, and I'm glad that the family got to see it. And, um, you know, it certainly conjured uh, his lifetime and his legacy. And I think um, in this day and age, you know, um, the current current generation – um, a lot of people don't place as much emphasis on history because there's so much at their fingertips of what's going on today. And so they're sort of, in my estimation, this is just my opinion, they're consumed with what's happening right now. And there's not as much a, a look back in context with history. And hopefully this film, um, you know, brings uh where these legacy and his story uh, to the forefront and makes people, you know, younger people maybe take pause and, and, See what this person went through, and how he sort of uh, created a foundation for uh the future
0: and Ronnie, after your screening tonight in Greenwich, there's a special q and a session. Tell our folks about that
1: <laughs> that's right so um they've set up where uh, of course I'll be in Greenwich, and then there's going to uh, technology willing uh worthy the third and queen are going to join us uh, live from uh, Santa Monica, and we're going to have a Q&A and a talk back uh, with them as well, because uh, you know, I certainly appreciate you having me on this show, but this uh, this film is really about the family and about Worthy, and uh, that's my hope, that, that people can see it and sort of take a step back and go like, oh, wow, I didn't know that, and uh, appreciate the story. I think it's, uh, in my estimation, a breezy 31 minutes, so uh, it flies by pretty fast, and I think people will learn something.
0: Worthy Patterson was a 6'3 guard who played for the Huskies from 51 to 54. He was the first black player to captain a sport at UConn and became the first UConn alumnus to play in an NBA game in 1957 as a member of the St. Louis Hawks. I wonder how you treated the aspect of Worthy going to St. Louis and encountering some segregation issues that he hadn't seen up here in the North.
1: Yes, and uh, I think as he got out of uh, New England, um, he got a little bit of a taste of, of uh, trouble at the uh, Celtics training camp. He was sort of had to get, uh, defend himself against Frank Ramsey, who turned into a Celtic and a uh, Basketball Hall of Famer. There was an altercation there. And then uh, he went on to Fort Sill in Oklahoma, where he sort of his eyes got open also to sort of what was going on in the rest of America, not like. The Northeast was a picnic. But obviously, he was in the Jim Crow era of Oklahoma, and then he moved on to St. Louis. And what was interesting about St. Louis, which he recounts in the story, is that um, when he was at UConn, the coach, Hugh Greer, put him through uh, drama and speech classes because uh, he must have seen some leadership qualities and worthy. And of course, he became the captain. So Greer thought it was important to get Worthy in these classes so he could be good at public speaking and, again, further his leadership ability. And so when he got to St. Louis, um, they had Worthy go and talk to the white community, uh, you know, send them to luncheons and, you know, uh, the Knights of Columbus and those sort of organizations, the Elks Club. And he went and sort of spoke to the white community about, like, Hi, I'm a black player. I'm going to be on the St. Louis Hawks and, you know, trying to sort of, um, you know, put the word out and and create some goodwill in the white community. So when the first uh, game came about, uh, he went to get into the stadium, and there were tons of protesters, but they were black protesters from the NAACP, And that community was protesting because they were mad that there was not a black player on the St. Louis Hawks. So he found himself in a very awkward situation because he had to tell them, like, hey, I am actually on the Hawks. And they were like, you know, they had never heard of it. Uh, And so he had to get a police escort into the stadium. And when he told the policeman, hey, I'm on the Hawks, I got to get in. Uh, you know, the policeman sort of questioned him as well and said, if you're not on the list, then you're in really big trouble. And so Worthy was like, oh, my goodness, here we go again. And so that created sort of an, a very interesting moment. But uh, he also recounted that, um, you know, the segregation, you know, everything was black and white, separated as far as living conditions. He couldn't travel with his white teammates, had to travel separately. But he did recount that, um uh, Stan Musial, who was a hall of famer. And at that point was probably one of the top baseball players in the United States, uh, took him under his wing cause Stan Musial sort of was the big man in St. Louis and Stan had a couple of restaurants and kind of took Worthy aside and said, like, anytime you want to eat in these restaurants, you just show up. And so he was very kind. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously Worthy appreciated that and, um, held that dear
0: to his heart. Worthy, a tremendous player. Yankee Conference champions, 52, 53, 54, inducted into the Huskies of Honor with Bill Corley back in 2012, but he parlayed his UConn education into a long career in the music industry. You touched on it earlier, Ronnie, but he worked for RCA, Warner Brothers, Casablanca, Motown, and promoted some songs that became really big on the charts. Tell me more about his music career. Well,
1: I think he just continued the things that he developed along his way um, at UConn and, and uh, in the NBA. And then when he sort of came to odds with his playing career was over, I think he actually hung on a little bit in the Eastern League um, for a couple of years after uh, he got dropped by the St. Louis Hawks. Um, but then it became evident that you know he was going to start a business career, and he was a salesman for uh, Tuck Tape. Um, and they were sort of, you know, sold different types of tape, and then in 1965, as he told me, the affirmative action initiative was put into play, and by Bobby Kennedy, and um, he basically got the opportunity because uh, a bunch of corporations, RCA included, uh, were sort of put on notice that they need to start hiring. Um, people of color and put them in executive training positions. So he got the opportunity to RCA looked at his resume and saw that he had sales experience and obviously experience at UConn and his education and that of a student athlete. And they said, this is great. And so they signed him right up, but the catch was, you know, they were sort of just fulfilling what their obligation was to to the Affirmative Action Initiative, and they didn't really know where to put him or what to do with him. But Worthy, as he was uh, sort of an ambitious guy, he basically wrote his own training um, manual, and he said he spent, you know, uh, like a month or two in each department at RCA learning the entire operation inside and out. And then, you know, because of his affability and charisma, and now he was educated in how to sort of, the inner workings of RCA, then he sort of climbed up the corporate ladder and was very instrumental in their marketing and, and um, some of their biggest artists and uh, then had a long career And uh, towards the end of his career. And actually during it, he tried to also pave the way for other people of color because he realized that he was sort of opening the door and then he wanted to let other people uh, follow him in.
0: It's all part of the documentary, Pushing Boundaries, UConn's First NBA Player. It premieres in Greenwich tonight, but it'll also be coming to the Donnelly Husky Heritage Sports Museum on February the 22nd. That's the campus premiere, and it will be shown on a repeating basis. By the way, speaking of that, the museum will also be open two hours before And one hour after three upcoming UConn basketball games, the February 15th women's game against Creighton at 7, the February 18th men's game against Seton Hall, which is a noon game, and February 22nd, the day that the Pushing Boundaries documentary shows, uh, that'll be open before and after the Providence men's game, which is a 6.30 tap in that one. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, Ronnie. I mean, you certainly have insight a lot of people don't have about the late, great, worthy Patterson pushing boundaries, UConn's first NBA player. Thanks for doing that, and thank you for joining me this morning. Thanks so much. That would be documentary filmmaker Ronnie Forsheimer, our guest this morning on 14 WILI Willimatic and 95.3 FM.